First thing my dad does when he gets up is go make the coffee. Okay, who wants coffee? I want some coffee. Okay, first I smash the beans. Then I mix them up. And then I pour some cream. And then I heat it up. And then I drink it. Here you go. This is delicious coffee. Thank you. Next he fixes the car. Wrench. Here you go. Oh, uh, nail. Um, light bulb. All done. Then he probably has to fix the sink, too. Hand me a hammer. Bang, bang, bang. Hand me a pipe. Hand me a popsicle. Why do you need a popsicle? Because it's delicious. He likes to cheer at my sports games. Yeah, kick that ball. Score a basket. Goal! Then he grills the food. What are you grilling us for dinner tonight? Hamburgers. Hot dog. Mac and cheese. Cheese. Mashed potatoes. Strawberries. Raspberries. Blackberries. Mmm, sounds great. Then he prays for dinner. Thank you for our cat. Thank you for our friends. And thank you for the world. The friendship never ends. Amen. After dinner, we played games. I played Uno. You want to play Uno? Sure. Yep. A blue five. I have a blue two. A green two. Draw four, 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 draw four. You have to draw 5,024 cards. Then he tells me a story at bedtime. Once upon a time, there was a dragon in the castles. He is a fire-breathing dragon and an ice-breathing dragon. And they all live happily ever after. The end. My dad always encourages me. I'm so proud of you. I'll always be there for you. I love you and Jesus loves you very much. You are a really great kid. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. You're the greatest. Yep, thanks, bye. See you later. Break a leg. <laughs> Once again, happy Father's Day. Can we praise God for our fathers and him being our father in heaven. This morning, I want to encourage you, open up your Bibles and join me in our reading. Uh, we're going to read it as we go through the message this morning, and it's in Genesis chapter 37. So uh, toward the beginning of your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, take one out in front of you here in the pews. And if you don't own a Bible, take it home. That's our gift to you. If you're joining us online and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. So reach out so that you have God's word wherever you go. And what we're going to be doing this morning, we're going to be walking through the story of a man named Joseph. And as you're looking that up, I'm mindful that not only is today Father's Day, but tomorrow is a day called Juneteenth. 
And I shared last year that Juneteenth had fallen on the same day as Father's Day, June 19th. And I admitted then that until very recently, I didn't know what Juneteenth was. And I imagine that that could be true for some of you as well. Um, And so I want to share with you just a very little bit of what I learned. Juneteenth, June 19th, that's where we get the name, was a day in 1865 when word that the Civil War had ended and slavery was abolished had made it to Galveston, Texas. And I was reading about it this year. I learned, first of all, in 2021, even though like 45 states had already been celebrating it in some way, um, the U.S. Senate unanimously voted to make this an official holiday. And I thought, I don't think our Senate unanimously votes on anything anymore. And yet we did for this. And it was back in, in the 1800s and later on afterwards that churches were the places where these earliest celebrations occurred. And even though racism and even slavery didn't just end at that moment on that day, this proclamation represented hope. And it still represents hope. And that's why we celebrate it tomorrow and every year on June 19th. And so remember that tomorrow as we're celebrating it as a nation. And remember that today as we celebrate Father's Day. Uh, because I appreciate how both Juneteenth and Father's Day remind us of the gospel. That, that whether these are days that for us give us reason to celebrate or are painful reminders of how far we still have to go in the brokenness of our world, the message of hope has arrived. Jesus has conquered sin and death in the grave, and even though we anxiously await his return, the message of hope is here. Amen? Amen. All right, so today, uh, as we get into Genesis 37, we're in the third week of our series we're calling Summer Baggage. We're looking at some of the things that weigh us down as we carry them throughout our lives. The first week we touched on the topic of forgiveness and how forgiveness releases us to be loved and to be able to love the way God has called us into. And then last week, Bill Gross was here with us and shared a great message. If you missed it, go online and check it out. Um, shared a great message from Acts chapter 3 on unfulfilled expectations. How many of you here have some unfulfilled expectation from the past in your life, right? We all experience this, so check out his message from last week. And today almost feels to me like a continuation of it. We're going to get into Genesis 37, and then we'll, we'll touch in Genesis 50 at the end of the story about a man named Joseph and how the baggage from our past, when we see it through the lens of our faith, we see how God can take everything and weave it into the good plans that he has for our future. So everybody who raised their hand about unfulfilled expectations, there's good news for you here today. Now, how many of you, I'll ask you one more time to raise your hand, have heard the story of Joseph or have seen the movie, uh, Joseph, uh, show of hands, the musical, right? It's, it's, a bu- it's, it's great. I love this story, and the reason that they've made a movie out of it is because you've got all of the elements that you look for in a good story, in the story of Joseph. You've got fancy wardrobe, right? You've got family conflict. You've got romantic tension. You've got political strife. You've got weird dreams. 
you've got all of the things that you need. And to give you a little bit of backdrop before we get into the reading, Joseph is the son of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of anybody? Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, remember that song, okay? So Abraham, and God made a covenant with Abraham that generations would come from his descendants, that they would, they would be a nation that would be blessed to bless the world. And so we fast forward into that story, and Abraham has a grandson, Jacob. Jacob has his own family with 12 sons. They're going to become the 12 tribes of Israel, one daughter. And there's a favorite in the family, and no, it's not the one daughter, but it's Joseph, the second youngest son. And that brings us to our reading today in Genesis 37-2. This is the account of Jacob and the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Zilpah and the, son, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. All right, I just want to summarize this so far. You've got Joseph. He's 17 years old. That means he's barely old enough to have a license to drive a donkey, okay? So that's where he is. And he's tattling on his brothers to his father. And that sounds normal, right? This is all like sibling rivalry stuff. Until you keep reading, verse 3, now Israel, which is another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Why? Well, because he had been born to him of his old age. And how did everybody know that this was the favorite? Well, he made him an ornate robe to wear. Now, I want to ask you a personal question. Some of you are here with your family. I do not want you to answer this out loud. <laughs> But when you were growing up, if you had siblings, or if you're a parent and you have multiple children, did you ever play favorites with your kids? Did you ever play favorites? Kids, did your parents ever play favorites with you? I read a, a small survey recently, it was, it was some years ago now, they asked like 400 families and parents who had at least two children, do you ever play favorites? 74% of mothers said that they've played favorites. And 70% of fathers said that they played favorites because 4% weren't honest, right? <laughs> right? At least with one of their children some of the time. And, and if you're completely honest, we kind of get it, right? Like most parents would admit that there are times and seasons where maybe you gravitate toward or away from one particular child or the other, like the teenage years might be hard. And kids would say the same thing about their parents. They might say, yeah, there was this season where I was much closer to my mom or I was much closer to my dad. And, and that's actually natural. There's not necessarily anything wrong with those things. But what we have here in Genesis is something very different. This is family trauma. This is the kind of stuff that you're going to wrestle with a counselor later on in life with because Jacob's favorite was consistently Joseph. And he even had a robe to wear that I was reading the commentators uh, as I was studying this passage that said that the robe would have had such long sleeves that the sleeves would have suggested that Joseph played more Fortnite than he was out helping out with the yard work, if you know what I'm saying. He, he didn't have to actually do a whole lot of 
actual work. And so naturally, you continue to read verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. And if you were in their situation, you might feel the same way. But it gets worse. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And you say, well, okay, well, what was the dream that made them feel so strongly? Verse 6, Joseph said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So let's just summarize what we've learned so far. Joseph is the favorite. It's a family of 13 kids. And so everybody's fighting for attention. He doesn't have to work. He plays, wears a fancy robe, plays video games all day. He has this dream. And then verse 9, it says, then he had another dream. Now just stop right there, okay? Do you not read this and go, Joseph, just stop talking right now. (laughs) Right? Like you're like, just stop. This is not going to end well. I was reading this. Um, as, as I was preparing for my sermon just two days ago, I was thinking about my youngest son, who's 21 months. And um, he is, he's at the point now where he's on everything. And when I say on everything, I mean he's on everything. And I was out in the backyard, and he was in the house. He had just gone in, and he closed the door himself, the sliding door. And the latch for the door kicked in so that I couldn't open it. And my wife had gone to the bathroom, and our 21-month-old decided he was going to sit at the kitchen table, which he likes to do. And so I was on the other side of the door, and I see him get on the chair, and I'm like, okay. And he looks at me, and he sees that there's this window between me and him. And he starts to stand. (laughs) And I go to open the door, and it's not opening. And so I'm like banging on the window going, stop, stop, stop. And he's looking at me like, I know you can't get me. And everything in me is like, just stop. And so anyway, I was reading this, and, and I, see, I read this. He says he had another dream, and I'm like, I feel like I'm on the other side of the window. I'm like, Joseph, just stop. This is not going to end well. You are going to get hurt. But Joseph doesn't stop. Look at this. He told this to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream. This time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they were all bowing down To me, if the 11 stars are the brothers, who do you think the sun and the moon are? Anybody? Mom and dad, right? Everybody's bowing down to the favorite son. Verse 10, when he told this to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. In other words, even his dad knows that his favorite son needs to cool it off a little bit, but Jacob is also wise. And he realizes that maybe God is working in the midst of something that's going on in his son, even in the midst of jealousy and 17-year-old pride and all of this stuff that's going on. Maybe there's something here 
that's giving him a glimpse into the future. And if you know the rest of the story, there is. And it's going to involve grain and bowing, and it's actually all very good. But as we've all experienced, sometimes life gets worse before it gets better. And so Joseph is sent out to check on his brothers. And when they saw him coming after they, they had been thinking about these dreams and their jealousy, and they decided that they were going to kill him. Verse 19 says, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And, and, and you see this and you think this is not good, but you almost have a little sympathy for these brothers after everything that's happened so far. Now, the oldest brother, Reuben, he tries to save him for his own selfish reasons. It doesn't work, but just in the nick of time, you see that these Ishmaelites, these people that are not from this particular place, they start passing through Egypt, just as they're about to do the thing they said they're going to do. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him instead. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let's not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed and they sold him. And I want you to pause at this part of the story because in the blink of an eye, Joseph went from being the favorite son. He's 17 years old, which, do you remember when you were, a couple of you are younger, right? But for those of you that, that aren't, do you remember when you were 17? Remember how ignorant you were to the world? Remember? No, no, Kathy wasn't. <laughs> Everybody, I bet you weren't, Kathy. You probably weren't. The rest of us were, but you have been forever wise, I'm sure. But you know, the world is your oyster, right? Like, you, you look out, it's graduation season, right? All the graduation parties, we look ahead at all of that. He's got all of this. He's the favorite son. The world is his oyster. He has the coats to prove it. And now... He's about to be dragged to the faraway land of Egypt with no hope in sight. Have you ever been there? Life is going your way. Everything's going just fine. And bam, the bottom drops from underneath your feet. Reminds me some years ago, uh, we like to take our kids up to the Wisconsin Dells. And uh, we've loved doing it since our boys were young. And our oldest son, Jacob, when he was about eight years old, he, ever since he was little, he was the kid that we were always trying to sneak on the rides that he wasn't tall enough to go on because he just loves the rides. And he loves the scary ones. The taller, the scarier, the better. He was about eight years old, I remember this one year. And he wanted to go on the highest slide in this water park that we were staying at. And it was, it was one of those where he had to like stand on his tippy toes just to be able to get on it. Now, if you're looking at the picture here, that is literally the slide that he wanted to go on. There was not a line at that slide because you're, you're certifi certifiably insane if you actually want to go down it. Um, but, but he did, and, and, and so I had to go down with him. And, and the way that this thing works is, is it literally, you know what it looks like? It looks like a coffin. <laughs> And so you climb into this thing, 
and you stand on this platform, and the cover covers over you, and there's this kid who's standing next to you, probably 17 years old. Ours was kind of taunting us because he gets this big red button, and whenever he presses the big red button, here's the way this thing works, the bottom literally falls out from under your feet, and you go flying. And I don't care how much you like rides like this. I don't care how brave you are. It is terrifying. Like, absolutely terrifying. But after the fall, it's exhilarating. There's all these twists and these turns. It almost makes you want to do it again. <laughs> almost. He's 14 now, and that's the last time I've been on it. <laughs> was when he was eight, because you know why? I remember that initial drop. And I remember all the way back then thinking about it. I thought about it then, and I was thinking about it now. Life is sort of like that slide. I mean, life is an adventure, right? YOLO, you only live once, right? We, we, we like to talk about that. We like to, to lean into that truth. It's, there's twists, there's turns throughout the way. But if we're honest, none of us would look back at the moments when the bottom drops out from under our feet and say, I want to go back to that part again. I want to go back to that. And yet, are those not the moments that cause the momentum in your life that forces you into the arms of God to begin with? Isn't it when the bottom drops out from under your feet that, that you fall into the arms of God's grace, that you need his mercy his redemption, his hope, his love, and yes, sometimes even his adventure. When the bottom drops out, you have no choice. Now, there are safer slides in the dells. Let me tell you, there's, dells, there's slides in the dells that they don't even need to have a lifeguard for. You know why? Because you just sit on them and you push yourself. <laughs> They're safe. But they don't take you very far. And so the bottom fell out from underneath Joseph. This is not a water park. This is real life, okay? And you think he must have thought everything was going just perfectly. 17 years old, father's favorite, wardrobe to envy, dreams that tell him while he's sleeping, you're going to the top. And that's how he felt on the day that he walks up to his brothers, completely, utterly ignorant to the fact that they're plotting to kill him. And you just think, what did it feel like when he walked up and they ripped his robe off of his body? Can you imagine how that felt as the bottom of everything he knew to be true seemed to fall out from under his feet, looking at the people that he's grown up with and saying, wait, guys, what are you doing? You know this robe came from dad. What are you doing? You're going you're gonna to rip it away. Where are you throwing me? What are you doing? You could hear, you could almost hear them talking to these foreigners coming through and taking money and selling their brother into slavery. And then he got shackled by the Ishmaelites. And they took him to Egypt. And here's a map. This would have been about 300 miles by foot, which would take about two weeks, which means Joseph had two weeks 
to think, what just happened to me? And I doubt that two weeks were nearly enough. The bottom dropped from under his feet, and he had no idea what was in store. And then I think about you, and I think about me, and I think about when the bottom drops out from under our feet, we don't know where we're going either, do we? (laughs) And so when we hit those moments, what do we do? We can pray, right? And we can ask God, I said this at the beginning, that through the lens of faith, we see that God weaves these things together, and we can ask God to intervene. And and, and one of the ways that we can do that is by asking God, God, will you rescue me? Will you rescue me from what is going on? Pluck me out of danger. I'm sure that's what Joseph was hoping for at the very beginning, right? I could almost hear him praying, God, if I'm having all these dreams, would you please make this a nightmare? Wake me up. Pluck me out. Rescue me from this. I don't know how Joseph prayed, but I would have prayed that prayer. And I do pray that prayer. Every day, it seems, with with so many of you. And I pray it for myself when the bottom drops out. When someone's been diagnosed with cancer, or their marriage is imploding, or they're depressed and they just can't get out. God, will you rescue? Will you rescue me? Will you rescue them? And it's in praying that prayer that often I am painfully made aware that God doesn't always rescue us, does he? At least not in our timeline. He doesn't always pluck us immediately out of our pain and the consequences of our actions and the actions of others, our past baggage. And that's why there's another way we can pray. There's another way we can put our hope and our faith in God, that when God doesn't immediately rescue us from something, we can say, God, will you carry me through this? Will you carry me through? And the longer that I live and the more I experience bottom-dropping moments in my own life and the lives of the people I love, which includes you, the more I have got to trust When we're facing these moments, God is going to answer that prayer in whatever is best for you and for me. And if that means rescue, great. (laughs) That's what I want. But if God can see something that I can't see, then my prayer has got to be your will be done. And, And I fast forward in the story of God's redemptive story, right? Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus, isn't he? What does Jesus pray in the garden on the night that he's arrested? He, the bottom is going to drop out. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He knows what's coming. And his prayer is, pluck me out, God. Take this cup from me. If there's another way, but not my will be done, but yours. Because Jesus knew that if he had to go through what he had to go through, he trusted that God had a plan, and that plan must be good. And I am here to remind you that the same is true for you and for me, no matter what your past or your present looks like. What does 2 Corinthians 4 say? The Apostle Paul. Our troubles on this side of eternity are light and momentary. Not because they're light and momentary, but they're light and momentary in comparison to the future glory that outweighs them all. And we see that play out in the story of Joseph. 
If you don't know the end of the story, it ends quite well. You skip to the end, you'll see that he has his ups and downs, but eventually he becomes the second in command in Egypt. And what that meant was that eventually he was in charge of all of the grain. Remember his dream? about sheaves of grain. He was in charge of all of the grain at the time that a great famine struck the land and it forced Joseph's own family to travel all the way to Egypt looking for food. And when they got to Egypt, who do you think they met? Their brother, Joseph. And when they met Joseph, they were terrified. Because they said to themselves, how poorly we treated our brother. He surely is going to kill us. But instead, he said to them this, don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see you planned evil against me? But God used those same plans for my good as you see all around you right now. Life for many people, easy now. You have nothing to fear. I'll take care of you and your children. He reassured them, speaking with them heart to heart. And the promise of God is that he will do the same thing for you and for me as well. Amen? Amen. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I am working all things for your good. I will withhold no good thing from you. I am your shield and your great reward. I am your light and your salvation. I am the stronghold of your life. I will give you eternal life. I will give you abundant life. I will give you peace. I will give you rest. I will give good gifts to those who ask me and I will give strength to the weary, power to the weak. I am close to the brokenhearted and I will comfort those who mourn. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will hear you, forgive you, and heal you. I will be found by those who seek me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will listen to you, I will fight for you, I will set you free and I will not change. I will redeem your life from the pit and crown you with love and compassion. I will finish the good work I have begun in you. I will never blot your name out of the book of life. I will come back and take you to be with me. I will deliver you and you will honor me.